Are you a Catholic woman who loves your faith, but finds certain aspects of living it out challenging and confusing? Are you a Catholic wife striving for a healthy, holy marriage and sex life, but don't know where to turn for straightforward, faithful, nitty-gritty answers to some of your deep and delicate questions? Are you a Catholic mom who's tired of the compare and despair game we all fall victim to on social media, and are just in need of some solidarity as you discover your own unique motherhood? Are you tired of the sunshine and rainbows pitch and want to lean into the both and of the mess that happens when the truths of our faith get lived in a fallen world? Well, if that's where you find yourself, you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Emily Frazee, your host of the Total Wine Podcast. I'm here to dig deep and tackle topics that we are all curious about, but maybe too afraid to ask. I'll answer it all with honesty and humor because living the faithful life can make you either laugh or cry. And well, laughing burns more calories. Welcome to the show. Hello. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Total Wine Podcast. It's so nice to be back. It is a beautiful Sunday afternoon here, uh, and it's been several weeks since I've been able to record an episode. Now, thankfully, um, it's been for good reasons. I've been good busy. Um, I saw something not too long ago that um, it said that if you're not showing up on social media, it's because life is either going horribly or really, really well. And I would say for the most part, it was going really, really well. There was some not so pleasant things thrown in, but you know, uh, it was (laughs) more of just being a woman and having a cycle and my cycle was in the stage where I wasn't feeling very creative or energetic. And on top of that, there was lots of things happening. So the podcast just takes a little break when those things happen. Um, But I've had like three different podcast episodes in my mind and my publishing schedule for podcasting works out really well to do it on Thursdays. And of course, this coming week, is Thanksgiving. Um, So I will not be publishing an episode on Thursday or recording an episode on Thursday. Got to do that ahead of time to get it in. And um, weirdly, I want to spend today talking about suffering. And I say weirdly because we're heading into the holiday season, a season of joy. Um, But maybe this is appropriate because maybe some of you are kind of in a place where you're in a season of you know, just heaviness or overwhelm or suffering of some kind. And it's really hard to enter into the holiday season and to really embrace the joy. Um, So maybe this is actually a a good timing thing. Uh, But first of all, I wanted to do just a little like life update or rather like professional social media update, because as you have probably noticed, if you follow me on Instagram, I do reels now. Like, that's all I do now, which is hysterical. And um, I I am enjoying it. I'm very conflicted about it because if you've been following me for a while, you know that there was a time where I basically said I would not do reels or I would do reels over my dead body. And I have, I have gone the way of the dark side with gusto. And <laughs> I'm really like, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. But I'm also really conflicted about it because 
I know like already being on social media, it's like, we know that social media is just jacking with our brains left and right. And, um, reels, I think dial that up to the nth degree. Um, you know, like these short little video clips, you know, I, I've, I've read, I've heard studies they're doing now say that like watching TikTok episodes or TikTok clips is actually changing our brains to where people can't sit through like a movie or even a, a, a video that's longer than 30 seconds because our brains are just getting trained for these short little clip videos and like wild stuff. Okay. And then I'm also starting to follow these different accounts that give tips on how to create reels that get a lot of views and all this. And like some of them like have some skeezy ways of going about this. They work. But again, it always plays back into this issue of like the algorithm is going to play up the things that incite rage, the things that incite a negative emotion, because that's what's going to generate engagement. And that's how these apps make their money. And so it's just like, oof. okay. So first of all, the reason why I am doing reels is because, um, Basically, I have some some girlfriends who all have their own businesses and we were, you know, we talk frequently. I adore this community of women that I am able to be part of. They are just wonderful and incredible. Um, and we all really support each other, even though we're all kind of occupying the same space. And one of them came to me one day and she was like, Emily, listen, she was like, social media is your primary marketing platform, Instagram in particular, for your business. You need to use the marketing platform the way that it's designed because this is what you're using it for. And that really resonated with me. And so that was kind of what pushed me over the edge to start reels. But I'm in this place of like, I'm not making reels the correct way to go viral. I'm not. And I just, I'm like, that's going to be, I guess that's going to be the line that I draw in the sand for myself is like, I'm not going to follow the rules to the letter. I will pull trending audio um, if I like it and I will, you know, uh, do some trends if I think they're fun. Basically, like, I just want to have fun. I'm a sanguine, temperamented person. Like, I anything that I do to have fun is, like, what I want to do. And so right now, reels are fun. And so that's what I'm doing. But I'm already seeing even for myself, like this trap of becoming a slave to the algorithm, becoming a slave to the the format and all these types of things. So it's really like, I'm really just kind of trying to push myself outside of like these expectations. Because when I started so my social media platform, everything that I do, like my prayer has always been like, Jesus, let me say what you want me to say when you want me to say it and let whoever needs to see it, see it and hear it. And whoever doesn't like shut it down. And a follow-up prayer to that has always been like, Jesus, if I'm about to say something real dumb that you don't want out there, just shut down my inspiration. And it's worked (laughs) quite well. Um, it's worked quite well. Um, I have like a decent number of followers, but it's not like explosive. And frankly, I don't know that I want that. Like that just brings, I don't know, that just brings a lot more weird DMs and 
who has the time anyway um although i do have to i do have to make a real confession um and it's it's sort of funny i find it hysterical but it's also kind of scandalous um i know everybody's like woo what is this okay um and also when are we going to talk about suffering let's get there anyway um just this one story and then we will dive into the heavy stuff um so i did a reel about how nfp is licit and you know just kind of like poking fun at like the people who come out sometimes and like you know you see stuff and people like nfp isn't really licit we're the real catholics listen to us you know those types of things it's like you know nfp can be used with a contraceptive mentality like all that you know the stuff that i am just like okay if you read actual church teaching like throughout the millennia that does not hold water okay i'm sorry it just doesn't and um so i made this reel and i go on to pick some music to go with it and i find trending audio and i find this song and i'm like oh this sounds kind of fun like i'll throw this in the background nobody listens to the audio anyway I don't. Everything that I watch on Instagram is on mute. Occasionally I will turn the sound up when it's one of my comedians and I want to hear the joke. Um, and y'all, the song that I picked, are you sitting down? You need to be sitting down. Do y'all remember that news story that came out a few weeks ago about the singer who did a music video in a church in Boston and it was you know, just a horrible abuse of a sacred space and all that. I never listened to the song, never did listen to it, but I saw all the news stories. I knew what had happened. I was appalled. And the song that I picked for that particular reel was that song. And somebody, if you go to my feed and you find the reel that says, is, is NFP licit? Play it. That's the song. Scroll in the comments where somebody points it out and you can watch my responses where I realize the faux pas that I made. So note to myself, <laughs> if I see a news story about a song that people are finding scandalous and then I go to the trending audio in Instagram, maybe I should do a little homework before I do that again. <laughs> So I just had to share because that was, um, yeah, that was a little faux pas. And of course, I'm not deleting the reel because it was good. I like the reel minus the music. We're just rolling with it. And I'm just going to let it remain on my feed as a reminder to myself of, hey, Emily, maybe you should, maybe you should check up on these things. So anyway, let's talk about suffering, suffering, suffering. I, I feel like, that, by the way, this is not necessarily a response to something that's happening in my life right now. I feel the need to clarify that. This is more a summary of, of years and years of struggling and thinking about suffering and, and asking those questions of like, God, why do good people suffer? If good people suffer, then how can you be a good God? Like I've asked these questions and didn't get an immediate answer, by the way, <laughs> that took some time. Um, but so I just kind of want to, I, I think that we need to have a nuanced conversation about suffering. The more 
we're, we're just getting more and more bifurcated, bifurcated. We're getting more and more black and white in the world. You know, things are either this or they are that, and there is no in between. And I just, you know what, it's, it's really frustrating and disheartening. And there is so much more nuance and it may come to a point where this is the, a nail in my coffin, but screw it. I'm going to have a nuanced conversation because we need to have that. So let's have a nuanced conversation about suffering. So what, it, you know, if you've ever experienced something deeply painful or watched somebody that you love go through something deeply painful, you might have even asked that question too. Like, how can God be good if bad things happen to good people? This is a, a very valid question, by the way. And actually, if you let yourself lean into that question and really, really wrestle with it, it can be the thing that leads you on this incredible journey towards discovering the truth. And I think that, you know, I'm not going to try to answer that question for you. I really do believe that that is a question that each individual person has to discover the answer for themselves. Because I found an answer that works for me, but it's not really translatable. Like I can give you the answer, but ultimately it's not satisfying because the answer to that question, that question is about going on a journey. I know everything's a journey these days, but this is legit, like, legitimately a journey that God is like, that is inviting you into. Um, and probably one of the most transformative books for me really like really impacted the way that I understand suffering and the way that I lean into this um, is the book The Read of God by Carol Hauslander which you might be like what this is a book about Mary but like this is a book about suffering it's like this is a book really it's a book about the human experience it's a it's a book about Emmanuel it's a book about God with us and what that actually means. And I think that if we really dive into the meaning of suffering and how to suffer well, this incredible mystery of Emmanuel, of God with us, really becomes tangible. At least that's the way that I've found it for me. And it was in part through reading this book, um, in part through, you know, just kind of dealing with my own experiences. Um, as many of you know, I'm not, this is not, this is not really news to anybody. Like I, I talk about suffering. I talk about like the real stuff with NFP because of my own experience. I dealt with, you know, surprise pregnancies and secondary infertility and methods that didn't work. And, and, and all of this brought me to this place of just questioning, like, God, why do you do this? Like I, this is happening to me because I was faithful. My faith, it's like I'm being punished for being faithful. Why do you allow suffering? And really the, kind of the, the simple answer to this, by the way, I am going to answer these questions. I just am, I'm not promising that these answers are going to be satisfying. I want to open up the nuance of the conversation because we kind of have this pendulum swing where, you know, as with everything, either, you know, you're supposed to suffer joyfully and like suffering, basically it, it, it kind of gets reduced down to suffering is the thing that makes you holy almost on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, no, suffering is evil and should be avoided at all costs. And if you're suffering, you should do everything that you can to mitigate it. Right. So these are kind of the two ends of the spectrum. 
And as with when it, you're talking about extremes, virtue and holiness is in the middle. The truth is in the middle of these two extremes. Suffering is not the thing that makes you holy. And also suffering shouldn't necessarily be avoided at all costs. That suffering is, is simply a part of our living. It's part of our existence. It's part of the fact that we live in a fallen world. It's not necessarily a punishment for something that we're doing. It's just a consequence of the fact that we don't live in paradise anymore. And I think the reason why we feel suffering is such a profound injustice is because we were not created for suffering. We were created for paradise. We were created for perfect communion. Like if you go back to Genesis before the fall, that's what we were made for. That's what we were made for. But as a result of sin entering the world, not even necessarily our own sin, but just the fact that sin is in the world, we suffer. Why is that? Well, sin, sin is a rupture. Sin is a fracturing of body and soul. That's why the wages of sin is death. The separation of body and soul is death, right? The moment a person dies, their soul leaves their body. But this was not what we were made for. I actually, I've started wondering if you know, the assumption of Mary is actually kind of a, a reminder and a renewal of what we were intended for, that when we, quote unquote, died, our soul wouldn't have left our bodies, our bodies and our souls would have gone to heaven. I don't have any theological backing for that, by the way, just covering my butt here. That's just a thought that I've had. Um, that this, you know, this, this rupture of soul and body, this tension that we've created, this disunity that exists because sin is in the world, because our bodies and our souls don't always act in unison. Um, and then that, that kind of produces this suffering. So from that, the way that I like to describe it is all suffering is evil. Now, before everybody flips out, everybody calm down. We're going to tease this out. We're having a nuanced conversation. Don't take the, cl the clips out of here piecemeal. This needs to be understood in its entirety. I'm going to freak you out first and then we'll flush it out. Um, so all suffering is evil because suffering is a result of sin in the world. Sin is evil, right? So suffering and death are consequences of sin being in the world. Suffering is not good. Suffering does not make you holy. We've all met people who suffer and they're miserable people to be around, right? We've all been around those people. Maybe we are those people sometimes. <laughs> no shade. It's just the truth. Let's just, we're just, you know, speaking the truth here. Sometimes it's us. Um, and, and again, I think it's, it's us reacting to that injustice. The fact that this is not what we were made for and we know it. In the core of our being, we know who we were made for, what we were made for. And whenever our lives do not align with that, that's whenever we, that's, you know, the suffering, this injustice of, of the suffering. So suffering is not good. It is not good. It is not a holy thing. You're not holy because you suffer. Now. When Jesus entered the world, when Jesus entered into our humanity, right? Again, Emmanuel, God with us. When he took on our human nature, 
now we have the ability to transform suffering into something that is holy. Suffering does not cease to be bad. Suffering does not cease to be evil. Suffering does not cease to be a consequence of sin. But because Christ entered our humanity, took on our entire humanity, because he took on our suffering and then redeemed it, now we have the ability to do the same thing. Now, obviously, there's different levels of suffering. And um, Father Jacques Philippe in, um, I believe it was an interior freedom. By the way, I've pretty much just like melded searching for and maintaining peace and interior freedom into one in my mind. And I don't know which book is which. Um, Father Jacques Philippe, interior freedom or searching for and maintaining peace. I quote these books all the time. But he said, you know, any suffering that can be mitigated by moral means should be. Um, so, for example, if you have a headache, you take a Tylenol or an ibuprofen or whatever pain medication you have on hand. These are morally licit means of mitigating suffering. You should avail yourself of them. You're not holy because you have a headache and you don't do anything to solve it, right? That's not holiness. Now, if you're in a situation where you don't have access to these medications and then you're like, okay, I have this headache, but I still have to be kind to people, right? Then it's like, okay, now this is a way to become holy. Like you are asking God to kind of fill in and help you to love people, even when it's really hard, even when you're in a lot of pain, right? So that, that becomes that transformative road to turning suffering into something that is holy. But having a headache is not good, right? It's not suddenly made good. It's like, oh, it was so good that I had this headache, right? And I think that's something that we, we do all the time. Like we reduce things. For example, in my own experience with having all of these, you know, during my second pregnancy, I experienced being totally abandoned by God. I experienced spiritual darkness. I went through these excruciatingly painful C-sections. There was birth trauma. There was questioning. There was doubt. It was an incredibly dark and painful time. And all of those things helped to transform me and, and inform the work that I do. It gave me compassion. It gave me a greater understanding. But two things are true at the same time. Number one, what I experienced was not good, will never be good no matter what comes out of it. That will always be bad. And... When I give all of those bad things over to God, when I say, God, here, take this from me, or not from me, just, just help me, help me to get through this, help me to live through this. The only thing that God is capable of doing is making beautiful things. So when we give him suffering, all he can do is return glory. He's not capable of doing anything else. When we give God suffering, he returns glory. The suffering is not good. But when we give bad things to God, all he can do is turn it into something beautiful. Think of the most amazing saints throughout history. Think of like your St. Augustine's and your St. Paul's, like the saints who underwent dramatic conversions, right? Their story is so incredibly powerful because of how bad of sinners they were beforehand and then who they became when they gave their life to God. They gave God their woundedness, their brokenness, their suffering, their sin, and all God could do was return 
glory. That doesn't mean that those sins are beautiful. That doesn't mean that that brokenness is good. It means that when we give it to God, all he can do is return beauty. All he can do is make a beautiful thing. If you've never heard of this, or maybe you have, uh, the, the Japanese art of um, kintsugi, which is repairing broken pottery. It's long been understood as an allegory for healing. You know, you take this broken thing and um, the Japanese will take broken ceramics, ceramic pottery, and they will repair it with a lacquer that is mixed uh, with gold. And so, so the ceramic pottery, Google it, because the images are absolutely stunning. The pottery, when you put it back together, is laced with like these veins of gold and the piece actually becomes more beautiful for having been broken than when it was whole. And I love the fact that they used gold because in my mind, it always reminds me, gold is a symbol of the king, right? Christ the king, that he comes in and, and he heals us and he puts us back together and that our brokenness is not the end of the story. That when we give all of these broken pieces to God, he comes in with that gold lacquer and puts us back together and we look more beautiful for having been broken than when we were whole. And what happens is, is you know, the brokenness isn't hidden. It's actually even more apparent in a piece of pottery that is repaired through the art of kintsugi. The same thing with us. Our brokenness doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear. It actually becomes part of our story. It's part of what makes our glory so much more glorious. I always like to remember that when Christ rose from the dead, he still had his wounds. That was how he was known. His wounds did not go away. That's a very, I mean, that's been a very, very powerful reality for me to meditate on for many different reasons. But thinking about my own woundedness and brokenness and the fact that God's glorified body, his resurrected body, bore his scars. What a beautiful symbol for us. What a beautiful reality, not a symbol, a reality for us to meditate on. So suffering is not good, but it doesn't necessarily, and, and, and where we can mitigate it, we should, but it doesn't mean we should avoid it at all costs. That's the other end of the spectrum, right? Because what happened, like, to say that we avoid it at all costs, even costs that are not morally licit, that maybe harm another person. You know, I mean, like you, you probably, you could think of all kinds of scenarios and I'm not necessarily going to run through them because eh, I'm trying to keep it short. Um, that mit sometimes mitigating suffering is not morally licit. Um, I'm thinking of a lot of examples that I don't necessarily want to use because they're pretty extreme. Uh, if I can think of like just kind of a, a more run of the mill thing. Oh, here, maybe, you know, when my kid's throwing a tantrum, um, you know, it's, it's very triggering for me when my kids throw tantrums. And what I would like to do to mitigate my own suffering is just shove my kid in a room and lock the door. But that is actually not helping the situation. What is going to help the situation is for me to kind of sit with the fact that, ooh, this is so triggering for me. Oh my gosh, I just want my kid to shut up. 
And instead, to, to call Christ into that moment so that he can be with me, so that he can give me that strength, so that he can see what it is that I'm experiencing, so that that way I can be present to my child who is undergoing an overwhelming tantrum. And that in seeking calm from Christ, I can give that calm to my child. And it, instead of being this moment of disconnection and actually amplifying suffering in other ways, it, be, it becomes a moment of soothing connection. Sometimes that soothing connection happens after like 20, 30 minutes. Let's be honest. It's not an immediate thing. <laughs> but, but that's, that's hard. That's really hard to do. Like mitigating, mitigating suffering by immoral means actually causes more suffering. So fine, even though it's hard in the moment, like really leaning into those things that are hard. Um, and this is where I think we start to find some struggle. Sorry for that. If you heard that, that was my computer. Um, this is where I think we can struggle, which is, um, when we start to think that we have to suffer joyfully, this, I think, is the death knell for us. Because I don't know about y'all, but I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything creepier than somebody going through just something really, really hard, but like wearing a smile on their face that you know is painted on. It is so creepy. It is so disingenuous. It's fake. It's a mask. And it actually doesn't, you know, God made us for community. He made us for love. He made us to love and be loved. And so anything that kind of drives us apart is like, ooh, okay, let's not do that. Like, how can we start to focus back on communion? And suffering a lot of times drives us apart. And, and the challenge is how can we look at suffering as a way to unite us, as a way to bring us closer together? And this is kind of where read of God starts to come into play for me. This was the absolutely most, or the absolute most transformative idea, because at the end of the day, some suffering you can't mitigate. A lot of times the pain that we carry is not physical. It's emotional. It's mental. It's spiritual. These are crosses that we're just going to carry. We all have them. We all know what they are, or maybe we don't know what they are. Maybe we carry crosses and we haven't named them yet. And that actually makes them a lot heavier. But these aren't necessarily things that are just going to go away. They're going to be hanging around potentially through the end of our lives. So what do we do about these sufferings? I know I talk about NFP a lot. The couples who are trying to avoid pregnancy and are dealing with weeks of abstinence. Girlfriend, it's me right now. It sucks. Freaking sucks. You know? And, and, and we think, we start to think, okay, how can I get rid of this? What can I do to mitigate this suffering? How can I make this go away? And again, like sometimes, you know, in the example I'm using, talking about avoiding pregnancy and you're talking about weeks of abstinence, sometimes maybe it does come down to looking into a different method or maybe you're having cycle issues that like you need to start looking into, um, are, are there medical or health interventions that I can make, some nutritional interventions I can make that can help my cycle start to regulate because a healthy regular cycle is is part of your overall health. This is not a bad thing to pursue. And, you know, maybe that, that is what it looks like. But in the meantime, you know, trying to troubleshoot that is, a, is its own ball of suffering. <laughs> it's like, 
which avenue do I go down? I've talked to so many doctors and da -da -da, right? Okay, so sometimes suffering can't be mitigated. Sometimes it's just our cross for now. What do we do then? That's when I think these questions of like, how does a good God allow faithful people to suffer? That's when I think these things really start to nag at us. When we have these sufferings that cannot be mitigated through moral means, um, or, or they can be mitigated through moral means, we just haven't found the means that works yet. And so we're just kind of sitting in this sucky, sucky place. And when I started talking about um, the difficult aspects of NFP, the message that I kept giving over and over was, you are not alone. And what was incredible was the relief that that offers people. Knowing that we're not the only ones, sometimes that can lighten a cross in ways, like to a degree that like doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense. The cross itself did not change. You're still dealing with weeks of abstinence, but it's just, I'm not alone. I'm not, that, that communion, this is what I'm talking about, how suffering should bring about communion and unity. That we find other people who, you know, the, to, to put it a certain way, you've heard the phrase, misery loves company, right? It's not because we all want to be miserable together. It's just that knowledge that I am not alone gives us strength. It gives us strength to go on. If you look at Christ's passion, you know, um, I, I've read the agony in the garden and, and I know that Jesus was asking Peter, James, and John to pray with him because he wanted them to be strengthened. But also Christ needed, he didn't want to be alone. That Christ in his humanity, in his full humanity, when he was about to face his deepest, darkest suffering, longed for connection longed for communion. And if you fast forward to when he was on the cross, what was one of the things he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Other translations say, why have you abandoned me? Christ was alone on that cross. And that loneliness when we're suffering just dials it up to 11. It makes it unbearable. So just knowing I'm not the only one suffering this. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody with a good friend where you start to talk about a situation that might be weighing heavy on you. And as you start sharing this situation, that person is like, oh, me too. You feel lighter. You feel so much lighter. There's just, there's just a, a tangible, palpable relief of I'm not alone. It's incredibly powerful. And it's this moment of connection. It's this moment of unity. It's this moment of love. Again, when sin entered the world, it, it, it made it hard for us to experience and receive and give total love. You might have heard it said before that if we beheld God in his full glory here on earth in our human form, we would die of joy. We can't handle that right now. But that's what we were made for. That's what we long for. And so when we get a taste of it, it is so refreshing. It is so renewing. And so this is where the read of Cod comes in. And this, I think this is also appropriate to bring up during Advent. Again, I've, I've said this already, but Emmanuel, this concept of God with us, that we're not alone, that we are accompanied. This is actually from, um, well, okay, it's not the chapter on Advent. It's a different chapter called Et Homo Factus Est. 
don't ask me to translate my Latin is very rusty. I took it in high school and yeah, it's gone. Uh, but Carol Hauslander is, you know, talking about you know, Christ and this, this indwelling and how God wanted to take on our human nature. He wanted to take on our human suffering. And, um, in the pages leading up to this, he talks, she talks about how Mary gave God the ability to suffer, which is just an, a, a mind boggling concept. Um, but she says here, that is what it meant to Mary to give human nature to God. He was invulnerable. He asked her for a body to be wounded. He was joy itself. He asked her to give him tears. He was God. He asked her to make him a man. He asked for hands and feet to be nailed. He asked for flesh to be scourged. He asked for blood to be shed. He asked for a heart to be broken. And, and she continues to go on. Um, but I'll leave that there. I'm just trying to introduce the concept. So a few pages later, she says, And he was made man. Our Lady saw at once what was meant in her case. Supernaturally, he was made herself. Biologically, God drew all of his biological DNA from Mary, right? If he is made man in you, he will be made you in me, me. It is extremely difficult to lay hold of this fact. It is very hard not to think of a kind of mystical Christ just beside us or just in front of us, suffering with infinite patience and joy, being obedient, humble, persevering, fulfilling his Father's will. This right here, what she says, this is the concept that I've had of God throughout my whole life, that God was outside of me. Like she says here, a mystical Christ just beside me or just in front of me. Suffering with infinite patience and joy. There was a detachment. You know, he wasn't, he couldn't understand what I was going through. This was the concept that I had of Christ. And here's where she just blows my mind. It is really difficult to realize that if he is formed in our life, we are not beside him, but in him. And what he asks of us is to realize that it is actually in what we do that he wants to act and suffer. It really needs to be practiced and to be understood. We need to say to ourselves a thousand times a day, Christ wants to do this. Christ wants to suffer this. And we shall thus come to realize that when we resent our circumstances or try to spare ourselves what we should undergo, we are being like Peter when he tried to dissuade our Lord from the passion. There is one tremendous answer to the question, which is reiterated to the point of utter weariness. Why should I? It is another question. Ought not Christ to suffer these things and so enter into his glory? This whole idea, again, basically Emmanuel, God with us, that God is not outside of me suffering. He's in me. This was the concept that just transformed. It wasn't even that Christ wants to suffer these things. That was incredibly powerful. But then it, it kind of, it, I took it to another degree that everything I have ever felt, Christ has felt it too. One time um, 
a while back in, in adoration, I was asking Jesus, I was, I was going back to my first two births, which were traumatic. And especially my second one during my second pregnancy, when I, again, when I felt abandoned by God and, and I questioned him, I was just, and I was, I was angry. Like I was just laying the anger and the, the, just the overwhelm and the sadness and the grief at his feet. And I was just like, where were you? Where were you? You, t- you know, I've, I've always been told that you, you were there. You never leave me, right? The footprints in the sand stuff, like you're carrying me. I didn't feel you. What good is it to know that you're there if I don't feel you? Isn't that the whole point? So where were you? And he did show me somewhere very beautifully where he was, but he showed me another place. And it was, it, when I read Read of God, he showed it to me. When I read this part of Read of God, is that when I felt abandoned, when I was laying on that table and I just felt stripped of my humanity, that I felt insignificant in my own child's birth and I felt like no one cared, like I was abandoned and that I was alone, that Christ was within me feeling every single part of that with me. That when I was looking for him in that time, outside of myself that's why I couldn't find him because he wasn't outside of me he was in me I was looking in the wrong place and that's when suffering started to transform for me it wasn't about giving God my suffering so that he would take it away because trust me I'm a sanguine I don't like to suffer like no thank you no thank you I want to have fun. I want to have a party. This is what I live for. I don't live to be sad. But sadness is part of life. And I've really started to lean into, instead of going to Christ and saying, Jesus, here's all my suffering. Now, please take it from me. Because that used to be my approach. Now my approach is, Jesus, this is all of my suffering. And I know that you're experiencing it all with me. Everything that I feel, all of my overwhelm, all of my tiredness, the sadness, the sorrow, the, the, the feelings of I'm not good enough, the feelings of, of unworthiness and, you know, uh, listen, we're moms. Like if you're listening, you're a mom, you know that feeling so well. It doesn't matter how good of a mom you are. You feel it. He's feeling it all with me. It was such a transformative concept. And it doesn't make suffering go away. Again, the suffering that cannot be mitigated, the suffering that is just that is just part of life. I'm not alone. Because in everything that I experience, Christ is there inside of me, with me, feeling it all. I don't have to explain it to him when I don't have the words when I don't have the energy to tell him, to communicate to him what it is I'm feeling, what I can do is I can just be. And I can just tell him, Jesus, I know you feel this tired and you feel this overwhelmed and you feel this sadness right here with me. You're in me feeling it all. The longing that I have, the questioning, the doubt, all of it, you're here with me in me, feeling it, all. And again, it's just the power, you know, what we feel whenever we hear somebody else say that they, they, 
they've experienced something similar to us and we feel that moment of unity, this takes it to a whole different level. It's a level of intimacy that, that gives so much strength. They give so much refreshment and so much renewal. And I don't feel less tired and I don't feel less overwhelmed and I don't feel less sad. I'm just not alone in it. And it makes it more bearable. It's been a profoundly transformative concept for me. And it's something that I wanted to, to pass along to you. It's not that God wants you to suffer. It's not that God is up there and he is allowing suffering to happen later on in this book. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. I'm going to flip through as quickly as I can. Um, I think it's in the last chapter of the read of God. Carol Hauslander says, if we understood the courtesy of God, we should not be scandalized by the grief of the world. Not indeed that God has caused all these evils or that he wills them. Get this, but that he has hallowed them. If you write out the word, word hallowed and you take off the H, it's allowed. We always talk about how God allows suffering. And I don't know, that concept just never sat well with me. And all she did was add one letter. He has hallowed it. He's hallowed it. He's entered into it with us. Suffering isn't good. Suffering doesn't make us holy. But with God, we can take that suffering and we can give it to him. We can allow him to enter it, enter into it with us. And really, it's not so much allowing him to enter into it with us as our becoming conscious that he is already in it with us. He's already feeling everything with us. And in that communion, he is hallowing us. He is hallowing our suffering. He is taking these broken, ugly wounds, sins, brokenness, and he is turning it into our glory, whatever it is. You know, when we live, we have to take both the good and the bad. There was a time where I had just gone through so much pain that I became a cynic. And as a cynic, you build very thick, very high, very impenetrable walls because you don't want anything bad to get in. You're tired of being hurt. Cynicism is a protective mechanism. But there's, <laughs> there's a problem with big, high, impenetrable walls. Sure, it keeps out the bad stuff. It also keeps out the good stuff. Nothing gets through. You don't just stop experiencing pain. You also stop experiencing joy. You close yourself off from living. That's, that's the temptation with suffering. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to feel pain. But more than that, we don't want to be alone. And this is just a secret that I have found with, with suffering. And so I wanted to pass it along is that suffering is, is, is bad but when we invite Christ, when, or rather, when we become conscious of the fact that Christ is with us, suffering with us, it becomes our glory. It becomes beautiful. It becomes the thing that transforms us. It becomes the things that unites us to others. Because we find out just how united we are with love himself.
Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it brightened your day and that you laughed as much as you learned. If you're enjoying the show and want more people to learn about what I share here, please leave a review and even share with a friend. I hope you'll join me again soon. Until then.